Okay, one of, one of the most universal human experiences is suffering. It's, it's just universal. Suffering and death is one of the most universal human experiences. Like, there is no human on this planet that can escape suffering or death. Happy Mother's Day. And so... One of my favorite songs, one of my favorite songs that kind of explores this, this idea of, of suffering and death being part of every human's life is it, it's a cover song by Johnny Cash, and it's called Hurt. Originally, it's by Nine Inch Nails. Uh, this, song, this song by Johnny Cash, it, it's a just really beautiful song if you like Johnny Cash. And uh, it, it's really haunting because he did this cover of this song near, near the end of his life. And, and then he filmed, he, they filmed a music video with him in it. And, and when the music video came out, this song, the popularity just took off. Because one, he's doing this song pretty differently than the original. But then two, he's doing this just really haunting song about suffering and death and regret at the end of someone's life. And here's a video of him kind of just exploring that, okay? And so I was a teenager. Uh, when the song came out, and it was, it was just super popular. The video in particular is super popular. We're seeing all of these images in the video where it shows, like, Johnny Cash when he's younger. It shows him as he's aging. It's showing all these things in this Johnny Cash museum where it's filmed in. And, and he's just kind of, and he keeps using this line in the song, like, look at my empire of dirt. Like, you can have it all. You can have my empire of dirt. And you just are sitting there, and you're just feeling your mortality, right? You're just feeling that Man, suffering, mortality, death is coming my way. And then me as a teenager, meanwhile, I'm listening to it. And I'm like, man, this is, yeah, this is just like my breakup that I just went through. And so, uh, like, but there, there's just something about this song that, that just connects to us on a human level because of how honest it is about suffering and death. In fact, the video, just some weird, morbid facts about the video. His wife, uh, she was in the video. And she died three months after they filmed the video. He's in the video. He died seven months after they filmed the video. The video, it's, fi it's filmed in the Johnny Cash Museum, like House of Cash or something like that. And you just see all this memorabilia from his lifetime of, of work. And uh, that building actually burned down like four years after the video was filmed. So it, the video is really haunting because no matter when you see it in your life, there's like... like what Johnny Cash was saying in the video was coming true in his life. And, and if you know Johnny Cash at all, you know he's got these relapses with addiction and these different things. And you just go, man, this, you just feel the weight of human suffering and death. But then again, you also connect with it. Anyone that's been through suffering, you watch that video, you connect with it. Even some people have jokingly said, I put that song on to, to, to cry today. Like, I put that song on to, to hurt today. And then you come to church. And we open up Romans, and we get to Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. And this is what chapter 8, verse 17, the first half, really great. Second half is like a little bit of a record scratch. But it says this, verse 17. And if you're children, you're also heirs, I'm adding yours, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Wait, so you mean... That if I'm a Christian, I have to suffer with Jesus? Like, like the, all the stuff that I see in the Johnny Cash Hurt video, as a Christian, it almost sounds like Paul. It almost sounds like you're saying, I get more of that? And so what, what is Paul 
talking about here? Well, that's, that's exactly that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, if you're new with us, we're in this series where we've been going through Romans chapter 8. We're just going a few verses at a time because there's so much jam-packed in, into Romans chapter 8. It's really a culmination of a lot of Paul's theology. So we're just taking a few verses at a time and looking at the, those things. And, and we're calling the series Life in the Spirit because all through Romans chapter 8, you see how integrated the Holy Spirit is into the life of the believer. So again, to be clear, like we've tried to be all, all series, is we believe in a triune God. We believe God is one, but he's in three persons of Father, Son, and Spirit. And Romans chapter 8 talks all about the Holy Spirit aspect of God, the Holy Spirit aspect person or a person of the Trinity, okay? And so, and the verses that we're in, in Romans chapter 8 today, it talks all about suffering. All about suffering. And so as we go through this passage today, we're going to, we're going to pull three things. We're going to pull three things about suffering that Paul is teaching us about suffering through this passage. God through Paul, really. So here are the three things that we'll talk about today. The first thing we'll talk about is the reality of suffering, the second thing that we're going to talk about is the hope that we have while suffering. And the third thing that we're going to talk about is the now of suffering. Okay, And so I just want the moms to know in the room, we, we did talk to the preaching team and we said, why, why was this the one that landed on Mother's Day? And they just said, uh, they actually weren't in the room when we asked that question. So who came up with that? So, so anyways, happy Mother's Day. Uh, so... Anyways, let's start. Let's start. I want to read the passage again. I love being in just a few verses because we can read the verses a lot of times in the service and kind of get that down into our bones, into our minds, into our hearts. And so we're going to start in verse 17. We're going to go all the way through 25. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Okay, one of the, one of the things that I love, one of the things I love about the Bible is this. It is... The Bible and the authors of the Bible, they, they are not afraid to acknowledge the reality of suffering. They're not afraid to acknowledge the reality of suffering. And I love that about the Bible. We might be like, of course, who doesn't 
acknowledge the reality of suffering. Well, I'll say this, like I've listened to lots of people who have lots of ideas and there's a lot of gurus in the Western world who kind of come about and try to tell you like, listen, you're suffering, you're just like, you're a little sensitive, like you're a little, you're not tough enough, like you just need to overcome it, you just need to forget it. And, and listen, maybe they've got some truths in there, but always when I hear these self-help gurus who are trying to make you blind to suffering, I'm always like, come on, man. Have you been through suffering? It's really hard to ignore it. I, I kind of want to sit down with them and be like, tell me the worst thing you've been through. Like, and I want to just talk through that. And so here's what I know is the Bible is honest about the reality of suffering when other groups and philosophers are not. Even in Paul's days, there, were the, there was these guys called the Stoists. It was like the Stoic religion. And you can go back. You can look at all their quotes. All the time, they're talking about how, like, suffering's just a construct, man. It's just your opinion about it, right? Like, and it's just like, that's not how the nervous system works. Like, that's just like, that's, it's not mind over mat. Like, if someone hurts you, you feel the hurt. And so what I love about the Bible is the Bible speaks to the reality of suffering. The Bible's not afraid to say, listen, to be human is to suffer. The authors of the Bible and God through those authors, sees how real suffering is for us. Those authors lament with us the reality of suffering. The, the, the words of the Bible grieve suffering with us every time it talks about and mentions the reality of suffering for us as humans. And so in this passage, it, it talks about Suffering, it talks about actually two different sorts of sufferings that, that, that happen to, to, to us as Christians and people too in general, one of them in particular. The first suffering it kind of talks about is creation itself is groaning and suffering and awaiting the day when God makes all things right. So that's pretty, don't gloss over that. Sin, the power of sin, which Paul has just been talking about all throughout Romans, it is so pervasive, it is so invasive that it's not just affecting humanity. It's not just affecting us and our relationship with God, although it is. Sin is affecting creation itself. All of creation, everything that God created is being affected by sin in a way where creation itself is groaning, Paul says. It's groaning and creation itself is longing for the day when God restores everyone and everything. So it doesn't have to be under this burden of sin which brings suffering and pain and brokenness with it. That's the first sort of suffering that this passage talks about. The second sort of suffering that this passage mentions here, and really it mentions it first, but it's the second one we're talking about, is suffering because you bear the name of Christ. Suffering because you're like Christ. Suffering because you're part of Jesus's family, because you trust in the cross and the resurrection and in him. And so there's this sort of Christian suffering, this almost extra suffering that Christians get, it seems like Paul is saying. I don't, I don't think Paul is so much as saying like, hey, every one of you Christians, you better suffer. But I think he is saying Christians will suffer. Christians will suffer with Christ for being like Christ. This is, this is the reality 
of the Christian life. Not only do we have to walk around with that creational suffering that everybody gets, everybody on earth has to deal with this creational suffering that the creation itself is groaning about. But we as Christians, we also have to get this extra sort of Christian suffering. Like, I'm going to be honest, Christian suffering, suffering for bearing the name of Christ, suffering for being like Christ, this is one of my least favorite kinds of sufferings. A lot of times I'm in meetings with you guys, and I'm talking to you, and you tell me about something really bad going on, and a lot of times I'm like, I'm a bad pastor because I'm just like, this is horrible. This is the worst. Right? And I know you're coming to me like, help me get through this. I'm like, I don't know if I can. <laughs> like, you know, like, I'm like, this is like, I don't like it. Like, I'm groaning with you. Like, this is just painful. Like, suffering is just bad. And Christian suffering for me, when you get this kind of extra sort of suffering for being Christian, it's just, it, 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 it's an, a particular sort of pain. Like, sometimes it's already a lot to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is so good and full of beauty and goodness and greatness and my life feels complete because of it. But sometimes it's a lot to follow Jesus. Sometimes it's a lot to trust in Jesus. And so what Paul, when Paul right here is saying, if you bear the name of Christ, if you trust in him, suffering comes with it, it's a little bit depressing. <laughs> I wish that wasn't the case. I wish you'd read and be like, if you bear the name of Christ, you get less suffering until I come back. Like, that would be awesome. But sometimes, when we live like Jesus, we're going to suffer like him too. When you love the world and you love people the way that Jesus loves people, you're going to suffer for it at times. When you live like him, you're going to suffer for it. When you stand up for the things that Jesus stands up for, we, we'll suffer for it. When you put yourself in the places that Jesus puts himself, you're going to suffer for it. I wish I could say, hey, I've got this loophole. What Paul is saying here is doesn't really mean that. It means this. But I, I don't. There isn't a loophole. It means what it says. I wish I could say, oh, I haven't experienced this, but I have, because it's true. Sin and Satan so want to destroy everything good, so want to destroy everything that God has created, so that when they see God's sons and daughters, I think they work extra hard. And bring an extra level of suffering for just bearing the name of Christ. And often we experience that suffering through the hands of other humans. That's why it becomes painful because it becomes so personal. Some of us, as we bear the name of Christ, there's really two kind of, I think, human groups that often attack Christians and hurt Christians. And I'm talking true Jesus-loving Christians, okay? True Jesus-loving Christians. And it's usually the religious elite or the secular elite. Both those groups do not like Jesus. Do not like that we're saying he's the way. Do not like saying that we're following him. Hey, we think he's the way to life. No, like both those groups don't like that in a lot of ways. Now, the religious group is particularly insidious, because they say, oh, yeah, we agree with you. And then you go, well, Jesus said this one time. And they go, no, he didn't. <laughs> well, I think I should apply that. No. 
And often, I think probably sadly for me, more often than not, it is the religious elites that hurt us as Christians more. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that that's true. But I am thankful that Romans chapter 8 and God, through Paul, doesn't want to ignore that reality. He doesn't want to ignore that in this world, even after the cross, even after the resurrection, suffering is still real. There is a creational suffering that we all have to go through. There is a Christian suffering that we have to go through. There is a reality of suffering that the Bible talks about. And Paul seems to say, hey, and the suffering that you experience as you're a Christian, don't be surprised by. Our culture is a culture that very much says, hey, if you experience suffering, flee that. Flee that. Run away from that any way you can. And, and often it feels like our culture has this message of, if you're suffering, you must be in the wrong place. And I'll be honest, I'm almost always going to flee suffering if I can, like, and you should too. But I have to wake up to the reality that I can't always flee suffering. I can't. I can't always flee it. Because of how pervasive sin is. Because of how evil Satan is. And so, we have, to, we have to acknowledge that this passage talks about there's this reality of suffering. And we live in a culture that often wants to ignore it. Or kinda, and because of that, there's this dissonance in us that won't acknowledge the reality of suffering in our lives. But it's there. Here's the good news, though. Paul seems to be saying that although suffering is currently allowed and currently a part of God's plan in some way and it comes with the territory, suffering will not be the final winner of history. That's what Paul's really getting at here. So this brings us to the second part of the sermon. The second part of the sermon is this, the hope that we have while suffering. The hope that we have while suffering. Reread uh, verse 18 of Romans 8 with me. Here's what it says. For I consider that the, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. So the good news is that all, although there is a reality of a multifaceted suffering for us as believers, one day... When we experience the resurrection, when God returns and makes his home fully with us forever and restores all things, we will get to live in the midst of his glory. And that's like a very Christian or theological world. Think of God's glory like almost like his presence, his like live in the midst of his beauty, live in the midst of his reality, live in the midst of his weightiness. The Hebrew word for glory is kavod, which means weight. So one day we're going to live in the midst of his weightiness, his reality, his presence, his beauty. And in one sense, we're going to like not only see that glory, but we're going to share in that glory, this passage says. Which means, and what Paul says about that is, that glory... And being in the midst of it is going to make even the bleakest days of suffering on earth seem like a distant memory. 
He's like, they're not even worth comparing. He's not trying to downplay your suffering and quiet your suffering. Paul's just going, it's going to be so good when he comes back that it's going to be like a distant memory. Even your worst days are going to be like a distant memory that you can hardly remember. A Christian, from, a Christian leader from the 1500s, Teresa of Avila, or Avila, I don't know how to say it. She put it like this, this idea. She says, and the quote will be on the screen, In light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. I love that quote. That's how good God is. That's how beautiful his glory is. It's almost like God is saying to us from this passage, after the, the acknowledgement of the reality of suffering, and now looking and saying, here, there is a hope you have while suffering. It's like God is saying, I know. I know suffering is really hard. I know it's even confusing why I've allowed it. I know that you get more of it if you follow me. But I promise, I promise one day what you get will far outweigh even the worst days that you had here. God, God, one day, one of the, my hopes, God is going to heal us from our traumas one day. It's one of the things I hope for and long for. Here's what's interesting, though, about what this passage is saying. It's saying that his goodness and his glory that we will share in will be so good that our traumas are dwarfed by the goodness of him, by his glory. Right? God will heal us from our traumas. There's plenty of passages that say that. But what this passage is saying is, actually, his glory is so good that your traumas, those things that just stick with you for all of your life, like you can look at all the studies on traumas. Traumas, like you can remember a lot of the traumatic things with just vivid memory for the rest of your life. Those things, one day in the presence of God, will just be like distant memories. They're like not even worth comparing because of how good we'll have it with God. That is a big God. That's a big God. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. You can say a lot of things about Christianity, but it promises the most. It promises the most. Like look at all the religions. I'm pretty sure Christianity promises the most. Because it emanates from the God who is the most. So, Paul, after talking about the reality of suffering, he wants to make sure we know that there is a hope we can have while we're suffering. When we're in the midst of suffering, when we're experiencing suffering, there's a hope that we can have. We can daydream. We can long for the day when our suffering won't stick on us like a stench anymore because God's glory is enough to dwarf it. And he's going to heal us from it. So all, that, all that's well and good. The reality of suffering, the hope we have with suffering. But anyone that's suffered a bit, they're probably going, well, what do I do now with my suffering, Anthony? These are nice words for someone not suffering. <laughs> like, what do I do with the now of my suffering? Well, I actually think this passage says what we should do with the now of our suffering. But I also think it says kind of like what we just will do. As Christians, as sons and daughters of God, with the now of our suffering. Here's the first thing that I think we should do with the now of our suffering. 
we should groan. We should groan. God is always open to you groaning about your suffering. Groaning in the Bible, it happens here. Paul mentions it again in 2 Corinthians 5, talking about these bodies we groan in until we get our resurrected bodies. And if you read the Psalms, you, the Psalms, you could call them the groans. Like they're just like there's so much groanings going on in the Psalms. And so I think the first thing we do with the now of our suffering is we groan. Groaning to God, specifically, is a practice of bringing your whole heart to him. When you groan to God, you're bringing your whole heart to him. I think also groaning to God often helps us to grieve through things so that it's easier to hope in that one day glory that's going to come. There's so much of, of, I've learned in the last year or two that grieving, so much of grieving is what helps us, I don't know if heal's the right word, but heal from, from our traumas. Begin some level of repair of our traumas. And I love that the Bible is full of God's people grieving to him and being encouraged to grieve to him. And so it's the groaning as this practice, bringing your whole heart to God and saying, here's what's going on. Man, this, I can't understand this. I don't like this. Why am I going through this? Why are you allowing this, God? And just grieving that before him. We groan, creation groans, we groan. We'll see next week, even the Holy Spirit groans. So the first thing I think we should do, I think we will do it in our suffering, is groan. But I think what we can be encouraged from this passage to do is groan to God. Groan to God, intentionally. Okay, the second thing that I think this passage kind of encourages us to do, it's going to happen either way, but it encourages us to do this. And I think we have to figure out how to wait on the Lord. We have to figure out how to wait on the Lord. Uh, years ago, I was an after-school like, teacher. So all the kids, uh, before their parents got picked up, would come with me. And so uh, to pass the time, I would just ask the kids, hey, what's the meaning of life? I would ask them this all the time. <laughs> all ages. <laughs> um, I would just say, what's the meaning of life? Um, and one time, this little girl, she, she says, waiting. I was like, what? I've, I heard a lot of things over my like, teacher, but this was the one that threw me off. I was like, waiting? Why is waiting the mean of life? I was like, what do you mean waiting is the mean of life? And she goes, listen, life's about waiting, Mr. G. Like, I wait in line here. I wait there. I wait here. I'm waiting everywhere, Mr. G. Life's about waiting. <laughs> and uh, it was really funny. But I, I was thinking of that story because that's kind of what life is like for the Christian. God has done what he's going to do to secure the restoration of all things. He came to earth. He died a death for our sins. He resurrected. But now we're in this like waiting period. Romans, this passage that we're in, in chapter 8, it mentions wait, the word wait three times. Three times it talks about this, like, this idea of waiting. So you and I, have to figure out what it means to wait on the Lord. Suffering has this way of making us like really hyper-focused on the now. Suffering has this way of making you really hyper-focused on the moment. 
right? I, I've gotten sick a lot of times over my life. Now when I catch a cold, I'm like, it's all over. Like, I'm just like, I'm just like I'll, when will I ever be healthy again? I wish I, that was made up. Uh, it's not. Uh, and because suffering, it has this thing, it just makes us really hyper-focused on the now because our hearts long for what God's going to do at the end of time. He is going to make it all good. He is going to make it all better. And so right now, God is working in history so that all like would, that would turn to him will turn to him. Or as this passage puts it, that creation is groaning, waiting for all the sons of God to be revealed. And so we live this, in this time where God is on a mission to, to save every one of his people, every one of his family. And so we have to wait. We have to wait. And so you and me as Christians, we have to figure out what it means to wait on the Lord. You're going to find that theme all throughout the Bible. This idea of waiting on the Lord. I don't like it. I would rather God be more like my microwave. But he's not. And so in this broken world where God is more and more unfolding his mission of restoration, we have to wait. We have to wait on him. And so the second thing I think we got to do in the now of our suffering is figure out for you what it means to wait on the Lord. I, I can't tell you. I can't tell you what that means for you. Because we all react to suffering differently. We all wait on the Lord differently. But as we begin to wait on the Lord and know what that means, what you're going to find is you're going to hope in the Lord too. When you figure out how to wait on the Lord and you're not just waiting around, but you're just actually waiting on the Lord, there's going to be a hope that comes with it. And so figure out what that means for yourselves because it's for, waiting on the Lord is, is the part of history that we live in right now. Okay, there's uh, one more thing that I think we can do as we experience the now of suffering. And it's this, we can suffer with Jesus. We can suffer with Jesus. It's interesting, that's the sort of language that Paul uses in verse 17. He says, indeed, provided if, if you suffer with Jesus... He doesn't say you're going to suffer for Christ. He says you're going to suffer with Christ. When Paul was writing that, Christ had already ascended into heaven. And yet Paul is saying, hey, you now are going to suffer with Christ. Why is he saying that? Because God has not left us alone to experience suffering alone. He is a God who took on flesh and experienced the reality of suffering himself. That's what Jesus did. The Son of God took on human flesh and he stepped into the creational suffering that he formerly wasn't living in. He abandoned perfection, no suffering. And he came into a world full of creational suffering, taking that on, experiencing it himself. And not only that, he stepped in to the sort of suffering 
that bearing the actual name of Christ gets. He experienced all sorts of suffering. He was alienated from his faith community. He was alienated at times from his family. He was alienated in all sorts of ways. And the end of his life is met with being killed and falsely tried and spit on and beat. His life is, he takes on the suffering of sin himself in all kinds of ways. So we have a God who will not leave us alone to our suffering because he's a God who steps in to our suffering. So in that sense, when we suffer for Christ's name, all of our suffering is with Jesus. Because that's the sort of suffering that he did. Because he's a God who stepped down into it with us. So even as you experience creational suffering, he stepped into that. You and I wait in that as he, and trust in that as he unfolds his mission of restoration. And then this is also true. Every time you and I experience suffering, you can, through the Spirit, go through that suffering with Jesus. That's why I think Paul talks about Jesus as if he's right there. Because he is suffering with Jesus through the Spirit. Let me put it another way. Every time that you go through suffering, not only has Christ gone through a similar suffering during his life on earth, but through the Spirit, he is right there suffering with you. God does not leave us alone to our suffering. He suffered himself and he suffers with us. And so the third thing to do in the now of our suffering is realizing Christ is there with you. The best gift I can give you guys is saying God said he's accessible now. Through Jesus and the Spirit, he is accessible now. That, that is, to me, is one of the best messages of the New Testament. He is accessible now. So now, in the now of your suffering, when you're going through it, you don't have to go through it alone. You don't have to be a stoic. You don't have to be a self-help guru. You can go to God. You can say, God, actually, because your spirit is in me, I'm going through this with you. And it, for me, when I've gone through suffering with other people at the same time, there's just something about it that helps bear the burden. And the person that we get to go through it with is the Son of God. That's beautiful. And that's part of what life in the Spirit is. So this passage, it, it says a lot. It says a lot about the universal experience of human suffering. And I find most of what it says to be very comforting. Suffering is real, but one day it won't be. And it's unfathomable to us now how good that day will be. But in the meantime, we wait and we hope and we groan and we suffer with Jesus. So may we be a people that hope while we groan and while we wait. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word. God, suffering is easily one of the things that just like, one of the most discouraging things for humanity and for Christians. And God, you know, we have 
forums and books and things about the problem of evil, the problem of suffering, and, and some of us just like can't get past thinking about it all the time and how you could allow it and what your role is in it, God. And, and so, God, as we talk through this idea today, and there's all sorts of things you're teaching us, just could you be with us? That even as we wrestle, even as these things are difficult for us to understand or to know, I, I really ask that you would just make it clear you're with us. Because, God, you are, you yourself are our hope and our final hope. And so, yeah, God, we could groan. We can do all sorts of kinds of things that I think you encourage us to do. But I think if we don't have a good and full understanding that through your spirit in us that you're with us, I don't know if we can make it through all that. And so, God, help us, drench us with the glory that you talk about in this passage. Help us to wait. Help us to figure out what it means to wait. God, we love you and we need you. Amen.